Hi, this is Kennedy in Tucson, Arizona, and you're listening to Scandal Water, where the tea is hot and the conversation lively. Your hosts, Candy and Ashley, will discuss a peculiar story somehow related to the entertainment industry. This podcast might not change the world, but it just might satisfy your thirst for an intriguing tale. Oh, it's that time of day. Tune in and hear what the ladies say. It's time to bend your ear when the silver screen appears. Stories about the stage and screen and everything in between. So come on and join the fun. The curtain opens in three, two, one. Good morning, Ashley. Good morning, Candy. I have a question for you. Ask it. Did you dress up for Halloween? Um, yes and no. Oh, I had okay. rehearsal, so I went as a very tired editor. <laughs> <laughs> I wore my shirt that says, I'll fix it in post, and a sweater, and I wore my hair in like a, a messy ponytail, which let's be honest, that's how I wear my hair anyway. So, and tennis <laughs> so shoes and like comfy costume. pants. Yes, it was very easy costume. Yes. yes. I, I had a party I went to where I dressed up as a 1920s flapper. Oh, cute. Yes. Kennedy actually had a real dress that she had left mm-hmm. behind in the closet. So with the whole tassels and everything. Oh, adorable. So it, it actually was very cute. But I ask because for us, Halloween was just a few days ago. Mm-hmm. And one of my friends posted on Facebook the costume that she wore with her husband to yeah. a party that they attended. What was it? And I'm going to ask you, when I show you this picture, okay. will you first describe what you're seeing okay and then tell us what you think the costume represents okay okay oh my gosh okay so what i'm looking at is a lovely woman with blonde hair and are those heart sunglasses yes okay heart sunglasses a white t-shirt and she says a lot going on at the moment and then her husband very handsome he is wearing a football jersey that is red with the number 87 on it so who are they ashley taylor and travis yes Kelsey. kelsey kelsey that is right that was actually a suggestion i was getting my my hair cut mm-hmm. a few weeks ago and my hairstylist when I told her I would needed to find a costume to put together that was her suggestion at the time I thought Kirk was going to this Halloween party with me but this is it's out there like yes. everybody wants to be Taylor and Travis because yes. they are all over the news yes they are all over yes it's crazy how publicized this is they are big time did I send you the little clip of the Saturday Night you Live did. skit you did and then he's at the end of it yes he did a cameo that's crazy if you've not seen it yet guys go to youtube and look it up it's the cutest thing it starts out it's basically you know the commentators talking about the football football. but they keep they keep spiraling over to taylor swift and talking about her (laughs) and like her albums and trying to analyze them and all that are are they really dating no he definitely is her boyfriend no he's not i mean they are all over it and it's a commentary on the fact that this is actually what is happening in our world everybody is so caught up it's massive headlines in their romance again just to fill you in I feel like everybody in the world knows this, but just to give you a tiny bit of background, Taylor and Travis, we're talking about Travis Kelsey, who plays tight end for the Kansas City Chiefs. And the rumor about their dating apparently started back in the summer. Oh. Yes. I believe that her breakup with her longtime boyfriend, that news kind of broke back in April. So in the summer is when the rumor started swirling about this new guy, Travis. And he would sometimes even fan the flames a little bit. He would make little comments that were cute here and there. People definitely, 
they were feeding into it a little mm-hmm. bit. And then, of course, the, it's been confirmed. She's shown up at the Kansas City Games. She's mm-hmm. been watching. You and know. hasn't it really elevated people's interest in football now? Absolutely. That's nice. Yes, absolutely. I'm sure you guys have seen all of this. And you, of course, have also heard and seen all of the hoopla around Taylor's Eras Tour. Yeah. Big time. Big it's a time. big deal. So let's, let us share what happened to us. Yes, we're so on the cutting edge that sometimes we're just too ahead of the cutting edge. We have to go, wait a minute, now we have to pull back. Yes, here's the backstory. Back in August, when we found out that there was going to be a release of Taylor's version of the 1989 album, Mm -hmm. we thought, oh goodness, what a fantastic time to do an episode focused specifically on this idea of Taylor's version, you know, the re-recording of her albums. Right. And so... We went ahead and we did that. We did. We, we recorded, recorded a whole episode. <laughs> yes. Well, and it was a good episode. It was a really good episode. Thank you very much. <laughs> yes. But it was either the same night or I think the it was very the next, next day. day. It was, was the next it? day. Yes, it was. Because I, I messaged you. I was like, Candy, oh, <laughs> now we have a problem. Yes. A good problem, but a problem. Well, tell them what the news was. So the news was that her era's tour, her concert that we talked about in the episode, how people were having trouble getting tickets to this, or at least people I knew, that it was going to be... Uh, put in the movies and mm-hmm. she and I could have an opportunity to see it and wouldn't that be great to talk about it in our episode that we had just recorded right. and finished <laughs> yes yes so we made the decision yeah we made the decision that we wanted to expand this episode mm-hmm. in light of the movie in light of you know the excitement around the new mm-hmm. romance mm-hmm. all of this we thought we need a bigger episode so what we're going to do is we're going to play for you in just a moment a chunk it's about 20 22 minutes of our original August episode, Mm -hmm. which of course was recorded before we knew all this was happening, but it is tightly centered around the re-recordings and the Taylor's version idea. So, And when you say August, we took a break in August. It was meant to come out in October to coincide with the release of her 1989 album, but on the day that her 1989 album came out is actually the day you and I went and saw the concert. That is so true. That is so true. To complete that thought, we're going to play the portion that we Mm -hmm. had already recorded, and then we're going to actually come back and we're going to do a new section where we we fill you in on some of the things that have come to light since we recorded the first (laughs) version. we recorded the first one. (laughs) But one last note, we knew all along that we needed to hear from some younger people Mm -hmm. because... Some Swifties. For some Swifties and even some people who just grew up with her because, you know, she started when she was 15. She is now 33. Right. This woman has been huge and she's been involved with music and impacted so many people for what is that, 17 years? Long time. And so people like my children literally grew up with her. In fact, Kennedy told me that her very first dance was to Love Story. So we knew that we wanted to include a younger perspective. And yes, especially if we could find a couple of young people who were Swifties, that that seemed only fair to represent their voice. Right. In our August version, you're going to meet Mackenzie. She's coming in just a minute. But... Before we go into this recording, we thought we would go ahead and let Lizzie briefly explain what we mean. You're going to hear that term eras a lot. Mm -hmm. So what what exactly does that mean? Right. In case you're not fully aware. There's an ongoing joke in social media circles and online that Taylor Swift 
is the music industry, and while it is a joke, in a lot of ways it's kind of accurate. She's set up an example for up-and-coming artists, especially other women in the industry, because she almost creates a new persona or a new version of herself, a new aesthetic with every album. These are called her eras, like her Red Era or her 1989 era or her Reputation Era. These are named after the albums she's released and they've become a part of people's vocabulary, Swifties and non-Swifties alike. So that was Lizzie. You're going to hear from her again Mm -hmm. in just a bit. But in the meanwhile, in the words of Taylor Swift, let's go back to August. Jennifer is a dear friend that has actually been mentioned on our show a couple of times because she has been a faithful, loyal listener and supporter from the very beginning. You guys have heard her voice because at one point she did a shout out. Thank you, Jennifer. Yes. Well, Jennifer has a daughter named Mackenzie who is equally lovely. She is 20 years old and she is a Swiftie. Certified Swiftie. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. (laughs) And she said that she has listened to Taylor off and on since she was about seven years old back in 2010. Her experience was that it was the album Folklore, which was released in 2020, that mm-hmm. is what launched her into becoming what she a would full-time consider Swifty. Yes, a, okay. a, a Swifty. And she was beyond excited, of course, when she was able to attend one of these era tour concerts recently. Now, Mackenzie is a bit of an expert on Taylor Swift now, okay. which you're going to realize in a second because okay. you're going to hear her voice. <gasps> Mackenzie! Yes! I asked her if she would weigh in uh-huh. with a few insights via audio clip, and she was kind enough to do so. so So you're going to hear her comments sprinkled in a few different places throughout this episode. So in this first clip, you're going to hear a few reasons why she admires Taylor so much. Mm -hmm. What was unique about Taylor's music at this time was the fact that she wanted her songs to be relatable to teens and kids. There's a sort of naivete about her music that is so endearing, charming, and catchy. You will never catch me silent when the song Picture to Burn comes on. Being a young girl in the music industry though, she has faced lots of criticism about her from her body, to her dating life, to her originality in music. Fun fact, actually, Bob Lefsetz, a longtime music critic, criticized Taylor Swift on her singing and songwriting abilities on her sophomore album, Fearless. So, when Taylor decided to release Speak Now, her third studio album, she made sure that every single one of her songs on that album was solely written by her and responded to the criticism directly in her popular song, Mean. Taylor has redefined her own music numerous times over the years in response to backlash and in order to keep herself relevant through the public eye. This is what Swifties refer to as her eras, hence the name of her eras tour. The most distinctive shift, I believe, is when she released her album, Reputation, and shifted away from her naivete, good girl vibe, into something more fierce and villainous. I love that album, by the way. Please go listen to it. She is an expert. She really is. (laughs) She knows her stuff. I thought it would be fun to start with that clip from Mackenzie because she makes the point, she made several points in there, Mm -hmm. of course, but one of her points was that Taylor is not afraid to respond to criticism Mm -hmm. or to take action to Mm -hmm. try to solve a problem. And I think that's the perfect lead in to actually talking about the focus of our episode today, which is this issue of the re-recordings. In a nutshell, why is she re-recording her first six albums? It's the first six 
Okay. It's the first six. Okay. Mm-hmm. Here's the short answer. According to a Time Magazine article by Reza Bruner, it's because she's trying to stay in control of her own art. Mm-hmm. The article says Taylor is, quote, an artist who's been fighting for years now to manage the means, method of production, and distribution of her work. Yeah. So this act of re-recording her albums and labeling them as Taylor versions is her effort to do that. Yeah. And I'm getting ready to tell you the whole backstory of oh, how good, it happened. Good, good. But do you is there something you want to chime in about um, before I do that? No, not necessarily. I was just going to give you what my cousin gave me. My cousin Lauren gave me as mm-hmm. the Cliff Notes version, which I think, and you can tell me if this is wrong, it would be because I'm misquoting Lauren. I'm positive Lauren knows. <laughs> she, she knows another Swifty. Yeah, she, yes. she knows it. But I think the way she explained it to me was when she first signed on to these companies, they got the rights to her music and this person owned it. And then that person wanted to sell the rights to her music, but wouldn't sell to her, sold to someone else. And then she couldn't do anything with them. It became this other person's. So now she is re-recording her work so that it can come under her own copyright. Is that close? Yeah, that's basically it. I'm just going to kind of flesh out the details of that. Yeah. No, Laura knows her stuff. She does. Mm -hmm. As you've said, the problem started back in 2005 when Taylor was only about 15 years old. She was an aspiring country singer Mm -hmm. and she signed on with Big Machine Records because obviously you're trying to make it big. You need money. You need support. So she's trying to kickstart her career. She's 15 years old. She signs this contract. Yeah. Well, this contract did not expire until 2018, by which time she's a megastar. Yeah. She has definitely crossed 100 How many years was that? From the time she was 15 to 2000, 2005 to 2018. Golly, that's mm-hmm. a long, yeah. that's a long record deal. Yeah. And she had the first six albums wow. under her belt at this time. She is selling out stadiums. I mean, she is huge by the time this contract expires. Yeah. Now, when the deal is up, she goes ahead and switches to Universal Republic Records. Mm -hmm. But Big Machine... Owns her first six. Owns the masters or original recordings of those first six albums. And that's normal. That's normal Mm -hmm. for recording Mm -hmm. deals. Now, she's smart. You mentioned her... I think her her father's a businessman, a really, really good businessman. I don't know. I read that somewhere. Yeah, I didn't. She inherited his good business genes. Well, good. Good for her. But she was obviously smart enough in her new contract. She made sure that now it was a condition. She will secure ownership of all of the new songs that she creates, all of her future masters. But she could not do anything about the past, what what was already done with the first six albums. They own the rights to all those songs that she herself had written or co-written and performed. Yeah. Yeah. Or in some cases, performed with partners as well, collaborations. Well, Big Machine sold the masters to a group called Ithaca Holdings okay. in July of 2019, which was owned by this music manager, music executive, Scooter Braun. Have you heard of him? No, and yes. It seems like that name sounds familiar. He's, he's, a, he's our villain recently. in this story? He is. Okay, okay. <laughs> As I was researching, I'm like, he's all over the news very recently, not just associated with Taylor, but with other things, which we're going to come back to. Okay. Yeah. Well, 
Taylor, though, uh, had a very poor relationship with him. We'll kind of talk about some of these details. It apparently went back a little ways before then. But when this particular thing happens, she is very upset. She wrote a statement on Tumblr, part of which said, quote, All I could think about was the incessant manipulative bullying I've received at his hands for years. Even before? That's, yes. I, okay. I'm assuming it's through, I, I didn't look that up. Okay, but I'm okay. assuming it's through their interactions in the music industry. Okay. Mm -hmm. But now to continue her quote, now Scooter has stripped me of my life's work that I wasn't given an opportunity to buy. Mm. Essentially, my musical legacy is about to lie in the hands of someone who tried to dismantle it. This is my worst case scenario. So that's how she responded when she found out that Scooter owns it. Mm -hmm. Now, according to Us Weekly in November of 2019, so this is just a few months later, Mm -hmm. Taylor posted a call out to her fans on social media asking them to help her. This goes back to what Lauren said. Taylor said that Big Machine Records, their founder actually, CEO Scott Borchetta and Scooter Braun had told her that she wasn't allowed to perform any music from her first six albums during her American Music Awards performance. What? I know because they because she didn't own it. it. She's she not, didn't own she's it. She's not allowed to perform. Oh, we go back to the own... copyright thing, don't we? Mm, Man. Yes. So she of course is furious but she knows she's got a lot of fans and that social media is a good outlet for her. Yes. So she literally puts out this call to all of her fans saying, you know that Scooter Braun works with all these other celebrities. Ask them to advocate for me. Ask Mm -hmm. them, you know, you guys kind of basically make some noise and Mm -hmm. see if they, if we can't get permission for me to sing my own songs. Right. Yes. So of course now they're not going to like that, that she did this. In November of 2020, so now it's a year later, I don't know if they actually I think they ended up letting her perform some music but don't hold me to that okay then in November of 2020 Scooter Braun sold her masters to another company Shamrock Holdings for a reported 300 million good grief after she found out Taylor posted on Twitter that it was quote the second time my music has been sold without my knowledge okay and an opportunity to buy it right yes and to piggyback on your thought she said quote he would never even quote my team a price these master recordings were not for sale to me mm. which is so unfair it like, is that makes no it sense is. at all mm. so according to a 2020 bbc article she also learned that under the terms of that sale to shamrock holdings somehow i don't know the details of this i wasn't able to find it but she was quoted as saying braun will continue to profit off my old music for years so somehow he's still in the mix he's even got though a he's piece sold. of the royalties yes yeah, somehow he's Yes, he's still in there, and I don't okay. know how. But that sounds was... like what he wanted to do is just sell it, so he wasn't at the focus of her ire. But he still wanted to get some residuals. Yeah, probably the business manager. He wants to, you know, he's, mm-hmm. he knows all the tricks, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So again, she felt like he was not just focused though on making a profitable business deal for himself. She seemed to feel like there it was, was maliciousness mm-hmm. and yes, something personal behind all of his actions. Again, remember she had used that phrase, incessant manipulative bullying. bullying. So. So she's been pretty strong in her statements against him. Now, here's where I'm going to come back to what, what I mentioned or I alluded to a few minutes ago. As I was researching just this 
this week, there have been articles posted about stars who are leaving Scooter Braun's management. He apparently is huge. I did not know this, but Mm -hmm. he has been, he was very famous for working with Justin Bieber. Okay. Reportedly, Justin has talked about wanting to leave, but as of the recording date right now, it sounded like he is still under contract and is staying, but other people have left. Demi Lovato, Ariana Grande has been in the in the news just recently talking to leave yes so apparently people are jumping ship yes this is very current right now that again I don't know what how things might change after today you know before the recording but as of this moment it sounds like Scooter Braun is even you know stepping back from being a manager and that's why I think he's in other directions that's why I think he sold the records I think he saw the writing on the wall when she summoned her fan base and he saw how powerful that fan base is and he thought I'm just gonna I'm just gonna offload all this stuff take my money Mm -hmm. get some of her residuals still stick it to her and it's a best case scenario for him well one of the things that taylor has done is she has used publicity basically the media is powerful yes yes. and she also we've said it now several times she has a very very passionate devoted fan fan base base. (laughs) and she knows how to use summon the troops yes use their power Mm -hmm. and put that behind her so when this all happened she very publicly and passionately criticized the sale and this is when she announced her plans to re-record her first six albums as an attempt to regain the rights to her own masters. So I guess that the lyrics and the music were not under copyright. It was just the physical recordings. It sounds Which like, is why she's yes. able to do this. Yes. So when she was making these statements, one of her quotes was on Good Morning America to Robin Roberts. And she said, I think artists deserve to own their own work. That's right. Now, a Time Magazine article that I was reading pointed out that lots of other artists have have had complaints about contracts. There are Mm -hmm. lots of contracts out there that are not fair to artists. But this article seemed to be giving Taylor props for being one of the rare people who decided she was going to go through the expense and the time and the hassle to follow through on this idea of re-recording her works because that's a very rare thing. To quote from that Time Magazine article, but rarely do they go through the hassle of re-recording and re-releasing old work. Swift, though, is not the usual artist. She had time, a whole year of it, while the pandemic put her touring schedule on pause. And she is meticulous about how her work is consumed and perceived, from the aesthetics of her album covers to the comments she makes on Tumblr fan blogs. Given her unique position, platforms like Spotify have everything to gain by supporting her new versions. Meanwhile, the fans who are the most active streamers of her old music have become well aware of her intentions and will abide by her wishes. Yeah. Swift is in the rare position to want to upend the system and actually have the power to do so. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And I thought that was a really great point because if if the public, not just the Swifties, but if the public in general realizes how unfair this is, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I don't want to go play one of the old songs and put money in, you know, the pockets in of Scooter's these other pocket. guys. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to do that either yeah. now. Yeah. So I totally, I think that was just brilliant. It is. She's a great businesswoman. So again, the pandemic helped. She had yeah. the time to do it. And my understanding but is... But she didn't re-record all six of those albums in a year, right? No. Okay. No. In fact, it has taken quite some time. Yeah. She did her r- new version. And she's not doing them in order either, is she? No. She's That's jumping around. Yeah. Yes. Her first one to come out was Fearless, Taylor's version, in April of 2021. Next was Red, Taylor's version, in November of 
2021. And then Speak Now, Taylor's version, did not come out until July of 2023. And then, as we've said, this 1989, which fans are crazy about, is going to be out. So this move to re-record her albums has been extremely well-supported by the public. A lot of the songs from each of these new versions, Taylor versions, don't actually sound very different from the originals. But the Time article pointed out that fans are careful to listen only to the Taylor version. And also, to her credit, Taylor has gone out of her way to try to find ways to make these new Bonus albums. tracks, too. Yes, yeah. absolutely. She will do some things to make them special. In this particular case of this 1989 album, there are five new songs from the vault that are, that are unreleased that are going nice. to come out. Yeah. People who she collaborated with in the past have been very cooperative about... Re-recording? Work, yes, nice. working with her again. Yeah, they'd be silly not to. Right? Just for fun, I went on the official Taylor Swift website, and they're, they're doing pre-orders right now for 1989. And so I just randomly, they had several options. I clicked on the CD option. Here's what it listed I would receive. 21 songs, including five previously unreleased songs from the vault, collectible CD album in jewel case with unique front and back cover art, one disc album with unique collectible disc artwork, a collectible lyric booklet with never before seen photos, a 10 by 10 double-sided foldable poster. And it went on and talked about what would be on one side and what would be Mm -hmm. on the other. So she definitely goes out of her way, I think, to make sure that anything she puts in front of her fans is something very personal, Mm -hmm. something that they're going to enjoy. So in terms of their success... A Forbes article that came out just a few weeks ago, August 13th, said, quote, Swift's re-recordings project has thus far proven to be an unmitigated triumph. Mm-hmm. Each re-released album, including Fearless, Red, all of Speak Now, all of Taylor's versions, of course, have all confidently seized the number one spot on the Billboard 200 chart. These releases have exhibited a pattern of continuous growth with each subsequent debut amassing larger and larger streaming and sales figures. And of course they predict that this next one, 1989, is going to just blow the roof off. This is amazing. Yes! Armchair Psychologist! So that actually brings us to our armchair, Oh, okay. Of course, I want to hear your thoughts about these Taylor versions, Mm -hmm. this this project of re-recording all her albums. But then I'll also have another question I'll throw at you. Well, the re-recordings, I think it comes down to ownership. Talking about previous subjects, look at the contract that Elvis signed when he signed with uh, the Colonel, Colonel Parker. Mm -hmm. The Colonel got 50% Mm -hmm. of everything. Right. And then Elvis had so many restrictions. And I believe in your episode, you told us that... he really didn't have that much when he passed away because it had all been sold Mm -hmm. and he didn't get any of the the residuals or royalties from it. So Elvis Presley, this happened to him and he couldn't do anything about it. It just reinforces to me how powerful copyright really is and how powerful, how you cannot, you just can't, sometimes you can't even fight it no matter who you are. Now she Mm -hmm. is working around it in a brilliant way and thankfully she is the fan base to do it. Mm -hmm. But in some cases, you just can't do anything about it. I have a very, very, very tiny, tiny experience with it because in the first film that we made, we signed with a distributor and it was wonderful. They were very kind. Mm-hmm. No, Nothing bad about the distributor. They gave us a wonderful deal. They took on a bulk of the expense of getting it ready for production, but they got the bulk of the residuals. Mm-hmm. And that's, it just feels like it's a trade you have to make. It's sort of like, do you want to be, do you want your work out there or do you want control of it? Because mm-hmm. you can't have both. Yeah. So with the second film we did, I just 
the distribution that that company particular uh, company closed so we didn't have a place to send it and i would have sent it to them because they were the best to work with mm-hmm. but yeah you can either choose to keep your rights and probably have no one see your work mm-hmm. or you can choose to give away all of your rights and all of the money but lots of people are going to see your work so mm-hmm. it's an it's one of those impossible choices what do you do i personally chose to keep the royal keep the control but nobody sees my work mm-hmm. you know yeah so i think my paraphrasing of your point is <clears throat> it's kind of sad how much power and control these businesses yes. have simply yes. because they've got the money to to put your work out there right. and you don't right so and, you're and kind I'm, of at their mercy you are and i'm not saying anything that's their business model mm-hmm. and they're just making money so there's it's just a choice you have to make and to me how much of what that first company did helped make her as famous as she was right it's still wrong what they're doing is still wrong taking her work from her but what was the exchange did she get to be as famous as she is because she signed this wretched contract if she Mm -hmm. had not signed this wretched contract would she have the power were they anticipating well she's not going to do anything about it because no one ever has Mm -hmm. and that's where she kind of turned the tables yes i think that's what i admire most about her taking on this project is that i don't think it was just for herself Mm -hmm. i think that she understands that there is an issue with the system Mm -hmm. and that yes you you need them you need these businesses to help you get out there and and they do something that is a service to the artist on the other hand there's some unfairness there that has to be addressed and they have to be reined in and so I feel like a lot of the moves that she has made were not just about Taylor and Taylor's music I think she was trying to change the music industry in the way they operate so that other artists are going to benefit from this as well she's sending a message yes and and I respect that yeah yeah that was something that that really struck me is I don't think it's just self-serving no 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 I I, I don't think so either a lot bigger than that I think she has the money and the power and she recognizes that she has the money and the power to send a message Mm -hmm. so if she's going to do it now is the time to do it yeah and I I'm really impressed Mm -hmm. by how well it's worked I Mm -hmm. mean she's making a difference she's 33 years old she's been doing this since she was 15 and she's really made some huge changes she's been half her life right yeah So it's interesting to hear what we said just a few months ago. Right. Two quick clarifications. Mm -hmm. In the meantime, I have discovered definitively Taylor did get to perform her own works at that 2019 AMA awards ceremony. Also, this is interesting. You know, we had speculated a little bit, wondering a little bit more about the feud between Scooter and Taylor. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I ran across a CNBC article that said their feud actually dates back to 2009 and it's related to Kanye West. I thought that Kanye played a part in this. Yes. What this article said was that when Kanye interrupted Taylor uh-huh. and they had that, that weird, yes, that encounter that, you know, when she was doing her acceptance speech at the MTV Awards. And then afterwards, remember, Kanye also really was jabbing it at mm-hmm. Taylor. In one of his songs, he, he had put this this nude waxwork of her in one of his music videos. Yeah. Well, according to this article, Kanye West was managed by Scooter Braun oh. and she felt that he encouraged that Scooter or at least, encouraged Kanye? Yes, at least, at least endorsed his behavior. Oh, so yikes, so it's all kind of tied up in that whole situation. Okay. okay. Those two clarifications okay. said, mm-hmm. we are going to head to break now and when we come back, all new stuff. All right. Do you love tea? Do you love entertainment? Do you love listening to stories from your two new 
BFFs, then consider joining the club over at buymeacoffee.com. For $5 per month, you can be a part of the 1939 Club, otherwise known as the Golden Year of Cinema. When Gone with the Wind, Mr. Smith goes to Washington, Stagecoach of Mice and Men, Wuthering Heights, Hound of the Baskervilles, The Little Princess, Babes in Arms, Goodbye Mr. Chips, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, and of course, The Wizard of Oz were released. Perks include a 5% discount on new merchandise, a shout-out for new members, an opportunity to be listed as a supporter in show notes, and exclusive access to bonus content. However, if you're feeling doubly generous, you can join the 1993 Club, otherwise known as the greatest year of cinema. This is the year that Schindler's List, The Sandlot, The Fugitive, Rudy, Robin Hood, Men in Tights, Sleepless in Seattle, The Nightmare Before Christmas, Mrs. Doubtfire, Grumpy Old Men, and of course, Jurassic Park were released. Additional perks in this club include a 10% discount on Scandalwater merchandise, the opportunity to record a shout out of your own, and the chance to vote in our guaranteed content poll, along with the warm and sunny feeling that you're supporting your besties. If clubbing isn't your thing, there's a one-time gift option too. Either way, those who support Scandalwater report fewer bad hair days, more green lights and traffic, and a grander sense of purpose and wonder at least once per day. Scandalwater, we do the research so you don't have to. And we are back. So it's interesting. Mm -hmm. The Eras Tour. Mm -hmm. So massive. Mm -hmm. I decided I would see if I could find any statistics that would convey. Illuminate? Yes. Just (laughs) how big it's been. And I found a Time article that was published just late in August that was entitled The Staggering Economic Impact of Taylor Swift's Eras Tour. And here is a quote that came directly from that article. It says, the impact of the Eras Tour is starkly reflected in the numbers a projected gross of 2.2 billion dollars billion 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 with a b Mm, right in north american ticket sales alone and hundreds of millions of streams reaching a nearly 80 percent spike in those listening to her music catalog in the weeks after the tour kicked off according to forbes the concert movie earned 92.8 million in domestic theaters in its first weekend it goes on to say quote with a record-breaking tour a blockbuster movie and a shrewd mind for business, the 33-year-old singer is now worth an estimated $1.1 billion. That was a quote directly yes. from them. Yes, and she's earned it from her music. Yes. Yeah. All from her music, which was yeah. a point they, they said that a lot of other singers who are billionaires... Do acting or other stuff, They have right? a, a, a movie perfume. or a, yeah, perfume, a lingerie line, mm-hmm. clothing line, all these different things mm-hmm. straight from her music. It is huge. It and is. so it only made sense that we would take the opportunity to go, to go see yes. this before yes. we would put out this episode so that we would have a better understanding and appreciation mm-hmm. for her art mm-hmm. and for her spectacle, for her performance right. elements. Right. Because I think that's a huge part of who she is. Yes, absolutely it is. We're about to tell you our reactions, but I thought that it might be nice to play this little clip from Mackenzie as a lead-in to okay. this. Okay, all right. Taylor doesn't only think about her music. She thinks about how she wants to drop Easter eggs, hinting at the next release from her outfits to her music videos. She finds a way to entertain on stage and she tries to create this special relationship between her fans. She really adores them as we adore her. Her creative mind has drawn a whole world that is Taylor Swift. There's a reason why people refer to her 
as the music industry. Which ties in exactly to what Lizzie said. Yes, similar thoughts. But I thought it was a great lead into this because that's one of the things that I was struck by in Mm -hmm. watching this was how much of it was audience appeal Mm -hmm. and carefully choreographed. Very much so. I have not ever, I don't go to a lot of concerts. I'll I'll say that to to start off. They, the the crowds kind of overwhelm me. It's not something that is my aesthetic. So mm -hmm. I would not have gone to it probably even if I'd have been a huge fan because I just, I couldn't have handled it. But seeing it in the film, I was able to enjoy it and analyze it. Poor Candy sitting next to a person that can't ever just watch something without (laughs) analyzing it. So something I have never really seen before, again, in my limited capacity is someone who will just stop and let the audience Mm -hmm. applaud and just rest in that applause. And this love fest that exists between Mm -hmm. the two of them and something else, it's like their applause gives her energy to endure because the endurance of this tour. Yeah. I, I, I was I was like, my goodness, this is this is just beyond my scope of comprehension, how she was able to endure that whole time singing all of that. 100%. I want to respond to both of those points you just made. I'll do the, the last one first. The endurance. That was something that I saw in an article, and I thought it was a great point made by the author. They said, how many other artists have the perseverance to do it, but also have the backlog, have the, the musical catalog to yeah. be able to go three or three and a half hours yep. and it is hit after hit after hit. Yep. And we were we were analyzing because we knew we were doing this episode. Yeah. Her voice was solid. Like she hung in there. She was sharp yeah. all the way through. We talked about that they weren't in order. Her eras weren't in order. And we thought, well, maybe she needs a break right here. So she's going to do a slower song. And then we were kind of seeing like, okay, I can see the rest. Mm-hmm. You need the rest after the really active parts and just a time to kind of re-energize yourself. So yeah. that was really interesting thinking of it in that capacity too. You had to lay it out where you do get that rest you can't do those upbeat songs for an hour and not need to take a little bit of a break oh no it was so intentionally designed but to go back to the other point you called it a love fest Mm -hmm. and she did bask in their adoration Mm -hmm. and then she also gave it back to them Mm -hmm, there were so many elements it was it was so mutual where you could see this was designed to be a nod to them or to please them or to interact with them like she would like point to them or look Uh at them or go over she hugged the the child who i believe if i understand correctly is Kobe Bryant's daughter. I think that's what you said. At one point. So there was a lot of mutual admiration. Yes. You, I remember you leaned over to me after she said that you've listened to my songs and they've been a part of your life. But now when you listen to the songs, I want you to remember this moment that we shared together. And you were like, wow, that, that just shows how much she thinks about her fans. Mm -hmm. And how she wants to have such a personal connection with them. Even the nod to the friendship bracelets. Yes. You know, she knows how they respond to her how they respond to her music it is an interaction it's not just a performance she's not just on stage doing her own thing she's trying to bring them in mm-hmm. yeah that's a lot of power and that's 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 a lot of power <laughs> i just don't know any other way to say it can i also say as an editor and a person with an eye for detail how much did i love that her microphones always matched her <laughs> outfit every time i told candy look at that microphone it matches except for the one that was blue and she was wearing purple and i was like oh doesn't match so <laughs> So much attention to detail. I mean, so much attention. It was. It, was, it really was. I mean, the woman knows how to not just compose and sing mm-hmm. and, you know, all of the elements 
of music, she knows how to put on a show. I commented on how often instead of just in a lot of the concerts I've seen, nothing wrong with this. It's wonderful. You you simply watch the artists perform their songs. Sure. She would turn them into little plays. Vignettes. Yeah, uh-huh. little stage plays or mm-hmm. skits. Mm-hmm. And with the props, with the set design, yep. with the change of the scenery, the outfits, all of it. And I was, it added to your enjoyment. It uh, added yeah, to it the did. communication of the story. Until they lifted her in the air. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> I told Candy. See, that's why I could never be a singer because I can never, I can never achieve what Taylor has achieved because, you know, getting lifted in the air and Candy's like, oh yeah, that's the only thing. <laughs> that's the only thing keeping you from it. I was like, yes, just that. Only that. Only, only that. that. Yes. Yeah. One other thing I'll point out, I loved that I actually had the opportunity to watch it twice. Yes, yes, yes. So I think I've already mentioned Jennifer. She is Mackenzie's mom, Mm -hmm. one of my friends. And I don't think I've yet mentioned my other friend, Sarah, who herself is a Swifty, as is her daughter, Lydia. And they had the opportunity to go watch one of the concerts together. Yeah. The three of us, Sarah, Jennifer, and I went to the drive-in. Yeah. And the drive-in was featured on the Today Show. Yes. You know what? They had put out an announcement saying that they were going to be mm-hmm. and they asked for people to send in their pictures and things so I, I saw that that was coming but at the drive-in there is where obviously it's nothing like being there in the stadium watching the actual concert but I had just a taste mm-hmm. of what type of fan reaction you saw from these Swifties because we were at a drive-in and I cannot tell you how many different pockets of kids and moms it was a lot of there were a lot of females I will mm-hmm. say there were some there were some fellas there too but I will say it was majority yeah majority Mm -hmm. I think were female and there were a lot of young kids there and it was screams every time Mm -hmm. she appeared or some the song changed or some new element uh, you know came out you would literally hear the whole place erupt in screams and applause there was singing there was dancing I've never felt so much exuberance and just unbridled joy during a concert experience and we're at a drive-in right right (laughs) at the concert maybe they felt more like they could do it because it was kind of outside and you could kind of have that joyful experience when you're in the movies you're in those reclining seats and you can't Mm -hmm. really see everybody else so it's not really that group experience like Mm -hmm. it would be in the drive-in I was really excited to be able to experience the movie as well because that is where I kind of sat back. You had the surround sound. Mm-hmm. It was great production value mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, as an audience member getting to really take it all in. And I was able to see everything so closely and hear it so sharply. Yeah. So it was really nice to be able to experience it I'm both I'm glad ways. you had both experiences. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Armchair Psychologist. So I think that that brings us to our, this is a first for us, Ashley. It's our second armchair. <laughs> this is the first time we've ever done two I'm armchairs I'm going to get out of my episode. armchair and into my other armchair. Yes. I have a spare armchair just in case for incidences just like this. <laughs> well, I thought it would be fun. We'd already talked about the music industry yeah. and the Taylor's version idea, mm-hmm. that element in our first armchair. armchair. <laughs> So this time, I thought maybe we would respond to a few points made by our young friends. Okay. Lizzie brought up a different point. I'm going to play a little clip from her and then we'll respond to it. All right. People go around using these terms and since each of her albums or these eras have such distinct aesthetics surrounding them, it's expected that other artists, specifically ones who may not have created a large name for themselves yet, should 
emulate that, that they should jump between genres and create a new persona for each work that they release. And Olivia Rodrigo is a prime example of this. Upon her announcement of her sophomore album, Guts, she was immediately compared to Taylor Swift. Her first album, Sour, had motifs of purple and the album cover was primarily purple and people expected that when she released this new album that that color would change, that it was a new era, that she'd have a different aesthetic and people hypothesized and uh, suspected that it would be red to symbolize maturity and metaphorical bloodshed after her last album and when this new album was teased and the cover was released, it was still purple and people were angry and dismissed her talent and started to question her legitimacy as an artist, claiming that she wasn't creative just because she didn't redefine her personal brand upon this new album's release. And this might just be part of her musical aesthetic or part of her personal style. She might just like the color purple, but Taylor Swift, or moreover Taylor Swift's fan base, has set this standard for up-and-coming female artists with narrative-based lyricism like Swift. So first of all, Lizzie is so well-spoken. She and Mackenzie both. They really yes. are, yes. I, I really loved hearing their perspectives. And that was something that I had never considered again because I don't listen to music a lot anymore. I, I listened to music when I was their age, but obviously these artists weren't around when I was their age. So uh, we talked about we listen to podcasts now. Mm -hmm. And I didn't even think about the pressure that new artists would be under to try to follow her lead. And okay, now you're a folk singer. Well, now you're going to be a rock singer. Now you're going to be a country singer. What are you going to be now? Or maybe Maybe this is just the way she likes to sing but mm -hmm. that amount of pressure and the mm -hmm. standard that it's setting it's 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 phenomenal yeah it's interesting because well first of all I think it's unfair mm -hmm. <laughs> because mm -hmm. we shouldn't always be comparing artists to another and, yeah. and holding them to to follow the exact same path as someone right. else it made me actually think about the fact that other people have done this I think it, it goes back to longevity like the Beatles yeah I if you listen too. to the Beatles mm -hmm. they changed their style you could I and mean, they certainly didn't call them eras but you could almost label them that way you could because you know at this point they were into mysticism at this yeah. point they were kind of pop so they definitely had totally different styles through their long career mm -hmm. and I think Taylor said that actually in the concert she said something to the effect of it was when she was addressing the eras idea and she said thank you for letting me take risks and yeah. try new things yeah. so she has evolved as an as an artist she's wanted to try new things she's wanted to be able to go out of the box and just see how, what, how, how would I like it if I tried this? Yeah. And she's obviously so talented. Everything's been a hit. It's yeah. all been amazing. Yeah. But I don't think that we can say everybody else has to do the same thing. Mm -hmm. That's not fair. No, I was thinking about it. I was thinking about like, who would we compare in their own, their own time as being comparable to Taylor? Maybe Judy Garland, as far as having this huge fan base and a mm -hmm. longevity, a long career. But she sounded the same mm -hmm. pretty well. She put all of her heart into it but I don't think I can think of a time where Judy had different what we would call different eras right. I don't think she ever went into country mm -hmm. I don't think she did folk I don't think she did rock she was just Judy and that was enough and that was wonderful and I think that should be allowed to exist too I think you can do whatever you want you're a musician if you mm -hmm. want to do different eras do it if you don't you're like this is where I'm comfortable and I want to create in this way do it and right. then the fans will listen and love to like you said why do we have to compare mm -hmm. and why do we have to tear one down because they're not being like another one right Artists, oh gosh, it's, you're so vulnerable. Being an artist, I mean, sure, there are the, the, the positive side. There's there's the opportunity for praise and applause and acclaim and, and money. Mm -hmm. But there's also so much criticism.
criticism, so much analysis, so much comparison. And, and you're being, hatred and jealousy. Sometimes, yes. People seem to go for the underdog, but once you get some fame, then a lot of times they'll, people will start tearing you down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it's such a hard place to be. And they're there because they want to communicate with the world. They want to put their art out there mm-hmm. to be appreciated. They mm-hmm. want to, it, it's, it's an interaction. They want to actually connect with their audience. And I think when we as an audience show appreciation for what we love and let the things that we don't love let them be you know let somebody else appreciate those absolutely you know we don't have to be critical yeah that's one thing that if I ever come across of course as a creative person you're going to experience jealousy every once in a while Mm -hmm. you know you'll see somebody oh they're more creative than me or they're better than me or they're this or that and the way I kind of combat it in my own creative life is okay am I willing to do what they're doing in order to achieve the success this indicates like if I feel someone else is more successful than me and you get a little pang of that jealousy like Mm -hmm. well what are they doing to be the successful are you willing to do that as well and oftentimes I'll say no not really and then I can mm-hmm. say I'm really happy for them that they are willing and that they can have that success so mm-hmm. that's just for me that's how I overcome some kind of you know it's just human you get that pang of like oh I wish I well if you wish you why don't you do it now I'm not willing to or okay yeah I am gonna do that and then I'll you mm-hmm. know move forward that way yeah I don't know if that makes sense but no I, I get your point mm-hmm. one other point I thought I would bring up this was actually something that Brie Camden's girlfriend mentioned mm-hmm. when we were talking about Taylor one day she was talking about how she just loves Taylor Taylor's positivity. Sure. That she seems to be a woman who just supports everyone. She's just very accepting and Mm -hmm. she's very empowering, especially to women. And it struck me because we talked about this in the lobby after the movie. Brian and Ashley and I chatted for just a few minutes, kind of reflecting. And somehow one of us mentioned that all of the backup singers and the dancers, that they showed such a wide variety in age, in gender, in style, in size. Yeah. All of the things. And I thought, I love that because she has this reputation for being someone who's just really loving of everyone. And I love that that was actually reflected in her own crew, that Mm -hmm. idea of let's just represent everyone. I do. I also love that she's a cat lady. (laughs) That's true. And that's why I wore my cat shirt. I'm wearing it again today. In honor of Taylor. In honor of Taylor, fellow cat lady. Well, I think that brings us to the close. We want to say another big thank you to Mackenzie and Lizzie for mm-hmm. sending in their audio clips and sharing their Insight. wonderful insights. Yes. yes. It was just a little personal conversation, but thanks to Bree and Kennedy and Camden for chatting with me briefly about Taylor as well. They and also to Brian for going her. with us, That's too, right. for being one of the only men in the auditorium <laughs> and for just admitting that that was really good. Yeah. I really enjoyed he, that. He appreciated it. He did. He really yeah. did. As a singer himself, he was very appreciative of her talent. Absolutely. A huge cheers to Taylor Swift. Amazing businesswoman, Mm -hmm. advocate for the Mm -hmm. music industry, performer, artist, composer. She's got it all covered. In fact, our theme this month is tenacious to a T. So each of our four November November subjects will be someone whose name begins with a T and we knew we needed to start with Taylor Swift because if there is anyone who is tenacious to a T it it is is this lady (laughs) props to you Taylor we admire you and and I've got to say I now have a much better understanding of where these Swifties are coming from absolutely so a huge cheers to you cheers If you love what we do, please rate and review our show. Or you can become a supporter by making a donation through buymeacoffee.com slash scandalwaterpod. Whether a single gift or a recurring monthly donation, it would go a long way towards supporting our work and allowing us to keep the tea brewing. At our website 
www.scandalwaterpodcast.com, you can submit questions or your own story ideas, access our sources and show notes, see the merch we offer for sale, and more. You can join the Scandal Water community through our Scandal Water Podcast Facebook page or follow us on Instagram or TikTok at Scandal Water Podcast. This episode was executive produced by Candy Thomas, that's me, and Ashley Raymer Brown, that's me. It was researched and written by Candy Thomas and edited by Ashley Raymer Brown. A special thank you to Josh Martin, who wrote, composed, and performed the Scandal Water theme and other music. Matt C. Adams, who created the artwork, and Joshua Reith, who designed our website and provides ongoing technical support. As a reminder, this podcast is purely for entertainment purposes. The thoughts and opinions of the host during each episode of Scandal Water are their own and do not reflect the opinions of any future guests, advertisers, or clearly professional psychologists. Thanks for listening.